0: power hour a book club for discussing romance from the erotic to the erroneous as always this is an explicit podcast and contains strong language adult themes and sexual content if you are sensitive to these things we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now this month we are reading ice planet barbarians by ruby dixon this is part two of ice planet barbarians this podcast will contain spoilers of the entire book if you want to read along with us stop listening now it's okay we'll wait for you to come back This is our concluding episode of Ice Planet Barbarians. If you haven't, please go listen to part one. Yes, we'll wait again. This book contains themes of alien abduction, death, rape, threat of slavery, and pregnancy loss. You have been warned. I'm your producer, Ashlyn.
1: I'm one of your hosts,
0: Sydney. And I'm the
1: other one, Lauren. Now get ready to get raunchy. Sydney, I have to ask you. I'm scared. What?
2: If you had all the time, money, resources in the world to quit your current occupation and become a full time romance smut writer, what would be your chosen subgenre? And for bonus points on this episode of Family Feud, what kind of monster would be your love interest?
1: Lauren, I'm so glad you asked this question. It's like. You know me better than anyone else in this entire world. (laughs) It's like maybe I resonate for you.
3: (laughs) Sorry guys, we gotta cut this episode short, Lauren and I have to go have a conversation real quick.
0: (laughs) And sensor noise here.
3: But um bum bum. Okay, we're back. (laughs) Um so if I if I could go and write a romance book right now and I could quit my current job and just go do that. What sub genre would I do? Honestly, I I know it's cheesy and I know this is an overdone trope, but I do love me a good enemies to lovers or like a good rivalry to lovers, you know? Um mm. and I'm trying to think of who my who my Rival would be for my for my love interest character, um, and I may have to say, um, you know what, hmm. I will have to say the Jersey Devil.
2: Ooh, a new cryptid has been added to our ever growing list of Sydney lore. Tell me, tell me about the Jersey Devil.
3: Um, it's got a horse of a a face of a donkey and bat-like wings, and it just flies around Jersey screaming, I think.
1: Ah, so like the
3: average New Englander. I can say that as a New Englander. Disclaimer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they kind of like the whole thing was that, uh... The whole legend is that this woman gave birth to her seventh child and she didn't want this seventh child and damned it to hell. And then the devil himself sprung from her loins. So that's why we have the Jersey devil. It's also, fun fact, the only recognized demon by the United States government.
1: What,
2: what exactly does that mean?
3: I have no fucking idea, but I love it. <laughs> so what it means is that the united states is like hell yeah jersey devil real thing and you know what i think that would be a great thing for um enemies to lovers for it to be like a cryptid hunter trying to prove um that the jersey devil is uh, isn't real and then like they just fall in love and then they're like oh no i've got to keep the secret cuz i love the jersey devil so much
2: <laughs> mm. wait follow up question okay if Vectel were a real life creature that existed in our realm of reality, would okay. he also be recognized by the U.S. government? Uh,
1: you know,
3: probably not because they haven't recognized Bigfoot and Bigfoot is kind of like a big deal, you know, get it? You, go,
2: <laughs> you know, I'm going to let that one slide.
0: <laughs> uh, well, welcome to this episode. That's our second episode, back-to-back, talking about Sasquatch, just so you know.
2: I
3: love that for us.
2: I love the running theme of, Sid, I have to ask you a question, and no matter what I ask, it always ends up with cryptids.
3: It always ends up with a cryptid. I will work in a cryptid in some way, shape, or form.
2: Welcome to the second episode of The Raunchy Power Hour, where we're discussing the second half of the novel, Ice Planet Barbarians, written by Ruby Dixon. And the first part, we talk a lot about its history and existence on both Amazon as well as BookTok and some of our likes and dislikes and gripes with some of the plot, including characters, setting, more characters, really hung like a horse, and now (laughs) moving into Google Translate spaceships.
3: Yep. Yep, yep, yep. The Google Translate spaceship may be my favorite thing. Um Because it just it kind of took me completely out of the experience. And I was like, well, that's a convenient plot point, you know. Are you ready
2: to take us through the absolute frozen trenches of Ice Planet Barbarians again, Sydney?
3: You know, Lauren, I never thought, I never thought you'd ask. (laughs) Take it away. All right. So going into part five, we are back with our main girl, Georgie, who is our um Mary Sue character and her love interest Vectel, um, who is uh the titled um Ice Planet Barbarian. Um so kind of going into part five, uh Georgie can now speak to Vectel, which is great. Um so now Georgie and Vectel continue on to his home um like home cave, whole settlement. I don't village. I think he calls it a village. Um, but going into this part, it's really interesting because Georgie is now meeting for the first time other blue aliens uh, or the Sakui, as we have learned from uh, the wiki readers. Um, so we get introduced to another uh, big character who's, uh, big and kind of grumpy. Uh, what was his name again?
1: Oh shoot! Hold on. Pause <laughs> for dramatic effect.
3: Rahash? Rahash, yes. Uh, so we meet Rahash, um, as he is coming back also from his hunt, um, and he is very grumpy, 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 uh, and he really wants to have a girlfriend, uh, because apparently all of the big blue aliens are all simp's for ladies. Um, but I would be too, if there were only four adult, uh, women in my tribe, I guess. Uh, Aspiration's so, a witch. yeah, exactly. Um, so Georgie goes into, uh, the tribe, the settlement, whatever you kind of want to call it. Um, so this area kind of gets into some weird descriptions and it's more of a weird descriptions of the females of this race. um, And also just their culture and how they've kind of set up their camp. And I just, I find it weird. Um, Lauren, if I know you had something that you kind of wanted to talk and touch a little bit about, and you are more well-versed in this stuff than me.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think as first and foremost, a brief disclaimer before we dive into more of a sobering topic and um, a not so sobering novel. I do think I do, uh, do want to say that we are a podcast of three younger white women. Inherently, that comes with its own positions of privilege. And naturally, as much as we would love to be able to understand and have powerful and meaningful conversations about topics such as this inevitably we recognize that we are not a part of the groups that may or may not be affected. And so therefore a lot of the discussion about this particular topic has been pulled from the blog post of a reader of Ice Planet Barbarians that is a person of color and had some very insightful and valid criticisms for the specifically representation of the Sakui, which is as a gentle reminder, the alien race that Bechdel, our main squeeze is a part of. Um, (laughs) To summarize, uh, I believe her name was Laura Diaz, the, let's see, <laughs> the ARC, thank you. And sorry, if again, if I am butchering that, um, these are her thoughts from her blog post where basically she brings up the idea that a lot of readers, including herself, have drawn connections from the Sakui to a few very specific, uh, indigenous groups, Um, as well as a very specific nomadic tribe in Mongolia. And this is based off of very specific descriptions of their clothing, as well as some of the practices of resource gathering. Um, I will not be the person that comments on which tribes these are connected to or which groups. Um, You can see her blog post, and I highly recommend it for more information. But in general, it's basically been kind of, Consensus among readers that the Sakui are basically not a parallel to any one specific indigenous group, but rather more of a chimera society, as this author puts it, modeled off of several different peoples. And whether or not that is an issue within the context of Ice Planet Barbarians itself is not really the greater context of this conversation. The greater context is how this representation within Ice Planet Barbarians fits into the greater narrative of the media objectifying, exoticizing, and sexualizing indigenous groups. And without going way into the details of it, this basically relates back to the whole really messed up, i of a better term, idea of the good savage, quote unquote. Um, This is derived from Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the philosopher's uh, idea. We're basically suggesting that any introduction of society, such as like politics, authority, possession of property, any civilization in general, really has, quote unquote, demoralized the fundamental goodness of humanity in favor of control and greed. Which obviously, as you can tell, I was a philosophy minor at one point. That is a whole different can of worms that we do not have to get into. But basically, that is the underlying principle here. And since then, that has led to this. Basically, fetish can never say the word fetishization of potentially indigenous or groups that are people of color in mass media. Basically, with infantilization and basically pointing at folks that may not be a part of what we see as like you know high technology society with like politics and you know oligarchy structures to be you know desirable and sexualized in this context and basically to put a bow on this whole you know conversation here. This is not to say that Dixon has made any you know, conscious error or any, you know, damning comments about any particular racial and ethnic groups by, you know, making Vectol have some ties or connections to Indigenous groups. But I think it is something to have meaningful conversations about. And it really is up to debate based on your own experience, whether or not this book is for you based on that context. But we want to put that out there nonetheless.
3: So this kind of goes back to um some of the comments that Georgie makes about uh the the Sakui and how they live and also some of the descriptions of some of the characters. Um so one of those is uh Maylock um and she is introduced as the healer. The way she describes her is very exotic in the way of like an fetishization of her cuz basically she explains Um, that she kind of glides into the room, uh, and that she's like smaller and more delicate, but she still has some of those, uh, characteristics of the Sukui, but also she notes specifically Georgie notes that her eyes seem to be bigger and longer lashed and her mouth is full and pouty. Um, her breasts are small and her entire body seems more wiry than soft, but she moves in an utterly sensuous way that makes me jealous. Um, her hair is long and gorgeous, rippling in the dark waterfall to her waist and tail. So I just found that description a little strange as kind of Lauren pointed out. This is a conversation that needs to be had about like these types of tropes, but we may not be the right people to kind of talk about it. I just wanted to say from my point of view and reading this, I was uncomfortable because I didn't understand why we had to have description of this character. And then the other moment that really made me not uh love this part was when we got to um when Georgie first enters and also basically all the sukui uh are surrounding Georgie and being like what is that because they've never seen a human before. Uh and some little kid uh basically yells out uh, mother, why is its face so ugly? Um, <laughs> which I thought is, it's a, it's a humorous moment. Um, but then Georgie speaks, and this is in her mind, she says, "To th- I giggle to think that these weird people think I'm ugly. They're the ones with horns and tails and glowing eyes and a downy suede over their bodies. They're the ones with ridges all over their foreheads and noses and um, other interesting body parts.
2: It's almost like a Lack of cultural sensitivity and acknowledgement of beauty within different spaces.
3: That is it. Exactly. Exactly what you're saying. It is the fact that she is just completely dissuading and almost like putting down a culture of, I'm going to say beings here because they're aliens, not people. Like she's like, Oh, well these people think I'm weird. (laughs) Well, at least I'm not the one with like horns and all of this and stuff. Hmm.
2: Absolutely. I think within the whole realm of sci-fi and fantasy in general, I think there are a lot of times when things or certain content around maybe like black or better term, like fantasy worlds or races can often draw some really less than ideal parallels to marginalized groups sort of, In reality, however, again, it is not our place to comment on which groups may possibly be affected, if any at all, nor is it our place to reiterate or say anything about how Ruby Dixon may be contributing to this overall issue. This is just something that folks have noticed, and I think it is worth commenting on instead of sweeping things like this under the rug. And please feel free to, if you learn any additional information or have any insights for us beyond what we've already discussed, please feel free to
3: correct, add,
2: and converse
3: please. I, I would love to have more conversations like this and learn more. Um, but kind of continuing on. So now we, so we're still in part five. Um, this all happens in part five. Uh, so Georgie gets healed by Maylock. Well, she, Maylock tries to heal her, but basically because she doesn't have a cooey, she can't really do it. Um, and Georgie is hanging out in Vectel's room and Vectal... Basically, gathers a bunch of hunters really quick, um, and it's like we need a rescue party. And all of the guys are horny on main. Um, they all <laughs> want to get a girlfriend. Uh, they are obviously all wanting to boink um, a human because uh, they're just like, "Hey, Vechtl's got a got a girl. We want one too." Um, so all of the single men, all the single men, <laughs> uh, <laughs> they they all uh, kind of want to go on this trip and so was like cool we just need a rescue party and then Vecto goes back to his cave and then Georgie and him wrestle Ah, <laughs> uh, yes my favorite daytime activity oh yes oh Lauren <laughs> you know me
2: WWE let's go <laughs> Rhea Ripley please call me
3: So uh, Georgie and Vechtel uh, get interesting in the sheets, and then Vechttel's like, "Oh, well, can't wait to have a kid." And Georgie's like, "What?" So this is when Georgie learns that a cooey only resonates when uh, it's a viable mate uh kind of thing, and so Georgie's like, "Wait, am I pregnant? Oh God, no, I'm never late And then she thought and she goes, "Yeah, she is in fact late, so she's probably pregnant um." And that's kind of where part six ends is Georgie yelling fuck and telling him that he's an asshole. Um, <laughs> and then we get to part six where Georgie's like, you know what? I'm okay with being pregnant possibly by a blue alien. It's not bad. Cause he treats her very, very well and all that stuff. Um, and in part six, they go back to... Uh, The cargo ship and uh, along the way, the other some of the other hunters get uh, their. They also get Google translated so then they can speak to the women uh, and they get back to the cargo ship. But all of the ladies are very, very sick. So if you remember from part one, we kind of mentioned what the Kui is. So just to reiterate, it is a symbiote. Thing that kind of like attaches to a host and helps filter out this toxin or element that's in the air. Um, and apparently, if you don't get this symbiote within eight days or a certain amount of days, you will die. Um, so all of the other girls have gotten sick, and they're like, they're they're on death tour. They're not doing well. Uh, Georgie is surprisingly doing fine. Like, I haven't, honestly, I don't remember her ever experiencing anything or her being like, I'm feeling sick. (coughs) Uh (laughs) She's
2: got to have something hidden in that backstory that we were deprived of, of some weird genetic immunity to all hot alien diseases. And that has to be why she's our main character.
3: Exactly. Um, So, so George, so all the girls are not doing well. And then the other hunters show up. And then, um, to, uh, georgie's dismay, some of the hunters start resonating with some of the women, but they don't know who, because the hunters kind of keep it to themselves. Um, and this is the point where, where the, not really will they, won't they? Cause we know they will. Um, <laughs> <part> <laughs> thing. because Georgie holds a meeting with the other women and they have to decide on if they are going to try and stay on this planet, I really don't know how they think they're going to get otherwise. So <laughs> like if I were in this situation, I'd be like, give me the bug. I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> give me the symbiote. I'm ready. I don't think there's any other opportunity for me.
2: Uh, you know, just give me a cardigan and I'm
3: fine. <laughs> yeah. Just give me a, you know what? Give me a little fire. Give me a little food. If I don't get the symbiote, I'll just die peacefully with a belly full, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Sounds great. Um, so, yeah. So they kind of have this council of them deciding on whether or not they stay. Um, and guess what? What? As well as you guess. Oh, there it is. Um, <laughs> they decide to stay. Yeah. Hey, so oh my god, the, uh, I never would have guessed. Oh my god, it's so crazy. It's like <laughs> there's 28 books after this. <laughs> I actually don't know how many more books are after this. Ash, if you You're can very close. You were very close. It's 21. <laughs> it's 21. Never mind. 21 <laughs> books. So I think they stayed on the planet. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Um yeah so for those listeners who are just listening in and do not know um this series has 21 books including short stories um i don't know how many of the short stories are then included in the number i need you to know it's none none
0: 21 is main series only 21 main series only Mm -hmm. thank you ash (laughs) thank you ashlyn
2: so basically ice planet barbarians is like supernatural where like it keeps going for season after season and it's virtually the same thing
3: yeah they just won't die (laughs) Um, Unlike supernatural well there's a lot of things unlike supernatural so (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so they go on the hunt, um, which they have to kill something to then get the cooey things. Um, and even though Georgie is hesitant to get it, she's the one who steps up first because you know that's our main character, girly. She's gonna do her thing. Um mm-hmm. and she takes the symbiote, she blacks out, and then she wakes up in Factil's arms. And she has accepted the kui, and she will be living on. This icy blue planet—I don't. This not definitely not Hoth planet um, for the rest of her life. Uh, and then we kind of find out that the great aliens try to came, come back and get the girls, uh, and obviously that's unsuccessful because now they're all fucking big blue aliens. The power of hunky blue love. Hunky
2: blue love. <laughs> Um, and please, for the love of God, tell me we're not talking about the epilogue.
3: No, we're not gonna talk. So the epilogue in this story, technically, is um one of the short stories that we have here. Um, and it's just Georgie learning how to hunt. Um, it's called Ice Planet Honeymoon, Bechtel and Georgie. Um, so all of these short stories are honeymoons of the different barbarians and their and their ladies. Um, but yeah, it's just. Uh, It's just Georgie trying and failing to learn how to hunt. That's kind of it. And then her and Vectel have a lot of sex. Wait.
2: Am I misremembering or was there a foot fetish section?
3: There was a foot fetish section uh, where uh, she was rubbing Vectel's feet and I got grossed out.
2: Oh, see, that was mostly the part I was referring to.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry, viewers, if that tickles your fancy, but not me. (laughs) (laughs) Tickles. (laughs) Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, thank you.
2: Wow. I think that concludes the synopsis of Ice Planet Barbarians, does it not? Yeah.
3: For a romance book, we didn't really talk much about the romance, did we?
2: <laughs> I think because really there wasn't a whole lot of natural chemistry to discuss, in my humble opinion.
1: Just a lot of I do the
3: Yes. Okay. Yes. I will be honest, though. So I enjoyed Vectel's point of view, and I enjoyed reading those steamier scenes. I'll be honest. The steamier scenes are written not half bad. Like, they are, I'm like, you know what? That's kind of hot. But it's the parts where Georgie is just talking that always just like takes me away from the story. It was just, it was, if it was just Bechtel and Boinking, I would have been fine.
2: <laughs> you know, I think the only correct criticism for this novel is if we were to trim this down in half by eliminating all dialogue, all progression of plot, and all relevant characters except for Boinking. And boinking, I think at that boinking,
1: point, boinking. <laughs> time to Boinking. <surpass,
2: laughs> at this point, this would surpass some of our classics of, you know, great literary history uh, and go down as probably the most... (sighs) I was going to say delicious, and then I gross myself out. (laughs) Uh, Blue boinking. It's
1: great. (laughs) Blue boinking.
3: Blue boinking. Oh, God. (laughs) For for (laughs) listeners, you can't see, but Ashlyn is making such a horrified face at me.
2: (laughs) You know you're doing something right when you scare your producer.
0: Yep, I'm yep, terrified. Yep. <laughs> Good <laughs> this is the most disgusting word you could have possibly inserted there, and I hated that.
2: You're so welcome. Welcome to culinary class.
3: <laughs> yeah, also, I remember the word that they used earlier for sex that we were trying to figure out, which was nookie. They kept calling it nookie, and I didn't like it. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, they said, oh, Georgie's gonna go nookie, or and she was like, oh, I want to nookie the alien, and I was like, why are we using this word? <laughs> is it because, is it because Ruby Dixon thinks this is how Southern people <laughs> say they're having, they want to have sex? Honey, I want to go have a nookie.
2: What do you mean? That's exactly how it's done in my house. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: But yeah. So overall, the actual romance portion of it, um, like the erotica, is not half bad. Like I would, I would say I enjoyed it. Did I enjoy the actual romance? No. Um, I enjoyed. Again, I've said this, and I'm beating this horse. I loved Vector's point of view um and i found it very interesting um and when you hear him say things like my reason for existing like i find that to be very romantic i would love for someone to call me the reason for their existence um but on georgie's side she just kept calling him my alien and kept kind of like just infantilizing him just being like oh well he's he's just a big blue barbarian he doesn't know better And I was like, he obviously knows a thing or two. He's keeping you alive. So
2: Mm -hmm. I think that is 100% valid and very similar to my takeaway from this novel. I think there is absolutely something to be said and applause to be shared for Ruby Dixon in what I think is a novel that, despite all of its flaws, ultimately is putting the woman first in both a sexual and a romantic scenario. Where, like you said, like the appealing part of Vectel is his unwavering love for Georgie questionable yeah. but hot and it, it is hot. absolutely yeah, it is. That's and I think there's something at least in the little like erotica and romance that I have read in my time that is a little bit standout because I think most of the time even when it is a female-led heteronormative romantic novel most of the attention is on how the man is Tall, dark, handsome, hard to get, domineering, controlling. Exactly. Traditionally, just very something to seek after, even if it is ultimately for the woman's pleasure. I think in this novel, Bechtel is not necessarily being sold as something to seek after. Rather, he is portrayed as the seeker. And that's that can be desirable, I think, and very enjoyable as a reader.
3: I think that, and yeah, I 100% agree. So I will say for Ruby Dixon and her writing, she did that very successfully. You can tell that this is a, you know who her target audience is, um, and she does it well in that aspect.
2: I do think as well, I think, I would argue that in terms of spinning a story that is, you know, on an alien planet, supposed to be something that is completely a fictional design, otherworldly thus separating, you know, us as people from our day-to-day lives and adding this, like, fantastical element to this romance. I also really want to applaud her on the development of the Sakui as, like, a species or as a people. Um, I think really fleshing out sort of Things like their day-to-day operations, like again, like research management, the hierarchical structure in their tribe, as well as like their whole ancient history of like technological advancement, I think is also really good for not only establishing the complexities of this world that really shouldn't be the forefront of this novel, but kind of shines yeah. through in really nice moments. It also sets the stage for the apparently 20 other books that come after it. And yeah. while I personally have no intention to read. 20 other of these books. No offense to and
3: We have a podcast, so we may have to read some other Iceland barbarians. I can live in denial
2: for a very long time. Denial <laughs> is not. a
3: river in Egypt. <laughs> denial
2: is a river in Egypt. No, I and I'm drowning in it. I I think ultimately I would hope that as we read through this series. Oh, God. Um, God. <laughs> now I you've it. Delete- <laughs> oh, great. Delete this, Ashlyn. Delete this. No, keep um, it Ashlyn. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think overall that this is something I would like to see explored and something that will keep me at least to some degree engaged in something that seems like a rinse and repeat setup of like, you know, one girl from the spaceship falling in love with one of the Sekurine. I think that'll keep an element of interest.
3: Babies. They have so many babies. And that brings me to my one this book. Oh my God, this book is Warriors cats, but it's Blue Barbarians.
2: Are you confessing to being a warrior kid?
3: Meow. (laughs) Guilty. (laughs) Um, I wasn't the type of kid who would go out into the playground and like hiss at people and like claim what clan I was I was in. But yes, I began my love of reading with Warrior Cats.
0: Today we have learned, Sydney. has crushes on cryptids yes and that she was a warrior cat's child you know what
3: people are gonna accuse me of being a furry and i'm scared
1: yes (laughs) yes they are the evidence is here they're all no
3: No, please i'm not i swear
2: (laughs) oh man trust me we have many more episodes to go in which we can explore that further. No, um, please. I don't want to. <laughs> Is there anything else we'd like to touch on in terms of prose of this book?
3: Honestly, I really agree with you with like the whole culture thing, because honestly, it makes me want to read more. I want to learn more about the Sakui and their like how their tribe runs, how I want to learn about the religious system. I don't know why I want to know what know what they think and like all that stuff. I want to learn. I don't know. I just want to learn everything. Um, and I find it very interesting, which is why I like. I don't know. I both want to continue reading this series so I can learn that stuff, but also, I don't know if I should open that Pandora's box. <laughs>
1: is the age old question is it not it is the question <laughs> oh my goodness well
0: we'll have to see i do have some wonderful questions for you too if you would be so inclined yeah i'm so inclined so to be clear this is our second time reading this book um tragically the first time we read it, I said, this is a Star Wars fanfic. And I would like to know if you two are of the same opinion. Do you believe that this is a Star Wars fanfic? <laughs> yeah.
1: Lord, I'll let you go first. I have a strong opinion.
2: <laughs> Please go ahead. I need to formulate my thoughts.
3: Okay. No, it is not a Star Wars fanfic specifically. Um, and I say that because, like, I'm thinking of, like, Love Hypothesis, which is literally a Kylo Ren and Ray fanfic, which was just repackaged and is now a very popular romance book. Um, and I haven't read we I have not personally read that book. Maybe that'll be one um, up uh, when we read I it. I have As- read
0: that book and we will be reading it.
3: Oh, OK, we have a guarantee now. Um, so. I would not consider it a fanfic that is Star Wars. I think it is a fanfic, which is heavily like inspired by it and is obviously coming from someone who is a fan. I do not like though that the planet that they land on, they keep calling it not Hoth. What is the name of the planet? I want a different name. I don't like not (laughs) Hoth, And I'm, And I get kind of tired of all the references to Jedi and how Georgie is not that. And I'm like, yes, Georgie, we get it. You're not Princess Leia. You are not Luke Skywalker. We get it, because we know, because you just fumbled down a cliff. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But is it Avatar fanfic?
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was definitely my next question.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
2: I think... To address the Star Wars elephant in the room.
3: (laughs) I
1: think. (laughs) 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 To address the tauntaun in the room. (laughs) Oh, yes.
2: I think if you listeners were tuning into part one, where we discuss Ice Planet Barbarians, uh, Sydney brings up the fact that on Ruby Dixon's Goodreads author page, that she is a very avid self-proclaimed fan and adorer of the Star Wars universe. And while I don't necessarily think this could be drawing parallels to, like, anything as explicit as, like, a Raylofic or something that is taking inspirations from characters themselves, I wouldn't put it past her if, at least in her mind's eye, she took inspiration from the very setting of Star Wars and potentially, dare I say, I know controversial grounds here, potentially envisioned this specific, like, landscape, obviously after... Hoth, who would have guessed? Oh my God. No. (laughs) In all seriousness, though, I do think it is a very plausible thought to be weaving in the notion that this could be Hoth or this could be a Star Wars fan fiction in the effort of itself to garner attention. There are a lot of books in our popular day and age that actually sprung from being Classics that are published on the internet, such as, you know, Andy Weir's The Martian, novels by Neil Gaiman. We have After by Anna Todd, which everybody knows is the Harry Styles and Lord forbid fan fiction. Um, Mortal Instruments by Cassandra Clare, uh, Fifty Shades by E.L. James, all of which sprung from original fanfic sources. And I think that in and of itself not only fuels passion for writing, but also can garner a pretty solid fan base initially that makes the barrier to publication a lot lower.
3: Yeah. And I will say that definitely like plays into I think the popularity of maybe the initial release of this book um, and I, I love seeing the influence of that like on books and literature now because a lot more people are able to get their work out or their fan fiction out by repackaging it and then like fan fiction is a decent source of literature like there are really good authors out there that have just written fan fiction um, So, yeah, I I really see that influence like in this book. But no, I would not consider this book a specifically a fanfic
1: about Star Wars. Agreed.
0: Okay, fair enough. I still personally believe that it was, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It'll be fine. Um, so as far as characters go, I know that we were all very fond of Vectel. Um, Do we have any other characters that would be our favorite or least favorite besides Vectol and Georgie, who I think we made our opinions very clear about? True. This is
2: the Rahash fan club over here.
0: Yeah.
3: I'll be honest, we didn't really meet any of the other characters like in depth. And maybe that's because the author had planned like for this to be a series of books. So you would like get to know the other ones, but I don't really have another favorite because I don't know the other ones. I don't know what they are like in a way. We only got maybe shallow descriptions of the other characters. Um, So I, I don't, I don't know what my answer would be because I, I don't know.
2: Hmm. Yeah, that's an absolutely fair point. I think probably the reason why, I mean, I am joking mostly when I say that Rahash is a really appealing character. I think the reason that I am able to make those jokes is because I think he did get a bigger bulk of the screen time, at least in terms of characters that like had content to add to the story Mm -hmm. at large. Because like, yeah, you could say the same of the other women on the spaceship, particularly maybe Kira. But then again, because like you said, Kira is going to get her own book in the future. This like, I feel like a lot of the content of what she could add was, like, held back intentionally. And Rahash, very much at the end there, was introduced as almost like a, not sidekick, but, like, counter, almost, like, antithesis or, like, counterpart to Vectal. Yeah. And I think that's what made him, in terms of side characters, the most, like, dynamic.
3: Yeah. Yeah, and I find may interesting but again like we didn't get to know her very well like i would like to know like her history and like kind of more stuff about her but i mean other than that i really don't have any other like favorite characters Ooh, could i say the basketball heads no ashlyn's shaking her head now so i can't <laughs> say that. dang
0: yeah i think saying the basketball heads is probably not a good idea <laughs> Um, then
3: I will say my other favorite character is that one alien that tried to rip Georgie's hair out in part two.
0: (laughs) There. Um, okay. So before I ask you both for your rating for the book, I'd like to know if you could give the book a different title than it's, um Not so nuanced title that it has in the moment. What would you title it?
1: Lauren, would you like to go first?
2: I think I need a moment to really resonate with the content and let you know. Give me a moment.
3: (laughs) All right, I'll let you think. Um, For everyone else out there, if you would like to hear my. Alternative name for Ice Planet Barbarian. I would like to introduce you to um, Blue Man Group Erotica by Ruby, Ruby Dixon. <laughs> yes, I am referencing the Blue Man Group, the men who are <laughs> in all blue throughout, like all of their faces and their hands.
2: You know, I think I would attend a lot more Blue Man Group shows if it was. Spun
3: more in a Magic Mike-esque performance. So, you know, I agree with that. Or we could do Avatar, the way of Dicking Down. Dicking Down. <laughs> it would sell more
1: than the second movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. okay, I've given it a lot of thought and consideration. Okay. I think a lot of the conversation
2: that we've had in this second episode on Ice Planet Barbarians has surrounded the author's fascination and world building with the Sakui tribe. And we've, you know, drawn connections to potential parallels in the real world with marginalized groups. We've drawn parallels to sci fi fantasy monsters that live under my bed. And I think really the moral of the story and what this title should be renamed for is the monster in us all is now inside of me.
1: (laughs) I love that.
0: I would read all of those if they were the title, honestly. (laughs) Yes. Amazing. I would love to hear both of your ratings out of five.
3: So I am gonna rate um Ice Planet Barbarians by Ruby Dixon um three out of five Star Wars references, just because it's not very hot.
1: Boom boom. I know that was such
2: a- And similarly. <laughs> no, no, I think listen, it's better than what Dick, or almost said, Dixie. Georgie <laughs> came up with when she stepped on the planet, it's okay.
1: Yeah.
2: I I think I'm similar. I think uh for me it's personally a two out of five coolies would not resonate again. But <laughs> apparently we are gonna resonate again because we have a whole twenty books to go through.
3: We may be returning to not hoff.
0: <laughs> Help. <laughs> Uh, Before we do our outro, I was hoping we could do our book reveal for next month. Um, I believe Lauren chose the next book, so she is going to do our reveal.
2: I'd like to apologize for that in advance, ladies. (gasps) I'm scared. I did drop a little sneak preview uh, in the midst of this episode. When we talked about the different authors that have gotten notarized or notoriety. Wow. Well, not notarized. <laughs> notoriety, <laughs> notoriety from playing off of fan fiction and publishing on the internet. And as a fellow fan fiction author, near and dear to my heart is the absolutely sinful mother E.L. James. Oh no. But we're not reading 50 Shades. No, no, no. Everyone That's... has been there and done that. We are reading the story that came before Fifty Shades, and that is the Mister by by E. L. James, a very tragic novel
3: that should never see the light of day. Oh, Lauren, I'm scared. You should be.
0: Can't wait to, to read it. Out.
3: I, you know what, I'm excited. I, I'm scared. I am worried, but I am willing to go into the unknown of E. L. James erotica. Delightful.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Raunchy Power Hour. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at the RPH podcast. Send us book recs to our email, raunchypowerhour at gmail.com or at the link in our bio on any of our socials. Join us in two weeks for our next episode where we will read part one of The Mister by E.L. James. As always, stay raunchy.